All right, Guru Nation, welcome back. Look, this is an um, unpromptu, impromptu uh, live stream. We had a cancellation on a somebody's getting sick. Look, it's that time of the year right now. People are just getting sick. Um, I don't feel good myself necessarily. Like I have something mild. Um, so what better time than to go live? And I have some guests coming on from site levels. And by the way, if you want to be a guest, <clears throat> let me know in the comments and I can get you the link. I'm going to use the Brad Hightower strategy. Anybody come on, uh, feel free. So we've got some cool guests today, um, site focused, but we're going to talk about careers too, because these are, these are site directors or site owners. So guess what? They're responsible. We're responsible, not just for running our sites and dealing with the operations, but dealing with employees and looking for talent, which I'm going to bring my first guest on right now, Dr. Daniel Fox. But before I do that, thank you very much, Viva, for sponsoring these podcasts, this live stream, my videos, my TikToks. Viva has this thing called Site Vault. It's absolutely free for sites. 450 sites, 450 sponsors use Viva already for their back end, for all their back end stuff. I didn't even realize this, but if you add the sponsors that also use Viva for sales, so when a drug's already approved and now they're being, um, sales reps are being empowered to go out in the community meet with doctors like they do at my at my doctor's office, who's my PI, Viva runs a lot of that technology too. So when you factor in the sales tech, it's over a thousand sponsors using Viva. So anyways, sites can use this for free, Site Vault, take back control of your regulatory, get it digitized. Look, if you're still using paper, everything, that's fine. Take little steps, take little steps into it. Eventually the industry is going to be all digital. So take a little steps. The first step, e-reg. It's free, no contract, digital signatures, got digital delegation log. Stuff's amazing. Plus, you get added to Viva's list of sites so sponsors can see, hey, these are the sites using Viva. Who knows? Maybe you might even get a study or two out of it every year. So if you want to be a guest, so again, thank you, Viva, for sponsoring. Everybody go check out. Viva Site Vault, link underneath. Um, again, if you want to be a guest, let me know. Rod, I see you here. Uh, we have Dr. Fox. Dr. Daniel Fox, thank you for jumping on last minute. You're always ready to go, Dr. Fox. Oh, I'm here, Dan. It was convenient. I also want to say thank you, Viva. I got my Viva thing here, too. So uh, Man, I appreciate what up. Viva's doing. Yeah, they're hooking do, me up. Do you actually use Viva Site Vault? Uh, not at my current clinic. Uh, okay. I think that we'll be considering them for other ventures as we start to grow out our sites. Okay. So. Um, Sadaf, I see you. If you want to be a guest, I'm going to message you right now with the link. Let me get the link. Let me copy it. Meanwhile, we have Rod Raphael. Rod, I see you in the green room. Rod is Rod did this post yesterday. Um, which really got a lot of people going. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
and um, Rod, I see you, but you're I can't I can't even add you because your camera it says your camera and your mic are not on. We would love to get you on though because your post I don't want to talk about your post without you being on it because that passion that you had I know exactly what you're talking about vendor management and paying vendors because I'm doing literally doing it right now, but we need you on for this man because that's gonna open up uh, like. A Pandora's box of potential topics. Um, Sadaf, let me get you on here. What do you think, Daniel, about vendor management? So, and I, I think I kind of put a little bit of a post on Rob's post. And by the way, Rod is an amazing person. I've known him for months now. He is so knowledgeable and I'm so, he's spot on with what he's doing. Coming from a contractual point of view, I understand why they're doing what they're doing, especially with a lot of the reporting that they have to do. You're better off, especially for tax reasons, doing the whole reimbursement method rather than the direct pay method, because then that's another contract. But with that said, I feel like the sites are shouldering debt for much longer than they should. Since the sites don't have their contracts adhered to, uh, we're kind of just left with the bill until sponsors decide to pay us or the CROs. Yeah, it's frustrating as a site owner, like just another thing you have to deal with or a site director. Like, honestly, if my clinic gets big enough, like I will right now, I'm the site director. <clears throat> when we started just a year and three months ago, I was everything. The coordinator, data entry, the talking to the PI people, the finding new PIs, finding stuff. I was literally everything. One man shop. Um, I had a business partner, nurse practitioner, Jaime Vias, but he was research naive. So it was really like me doing everything. Then I hired coordinators. By the way, we could talk about careers here too. And Sadaf, I sent you the link in a message. Hopefully you could see it because we're not connected. Hopefully, let me know. Let me know if you could see it. Um, and so right now, since I have two coordinators, I've removed myself from day to day. I still go help here and there, but... I'm more site directing. And what that means is paying bills, managing vendors. When vendors don't do things the way the protocol says, you got to go retrain the vendors. By the way, guys, happens a lot. A lot. And I can't, it's not like they're my employees. I can't go to the vendor and say, hey, you're not doing this right. You know, we can't have career growth for you if you don't follow product. I can't. There, I have no power. Right. So now that I'm doing all this stuff, like I understand, yeah, it's frustrating. I wish sponsors would just deal with it. But think about it. My whole argument is sponsors don't want to babysit vendors. Like that's kind of why they want you as a site to take that responsibility. They probably consider that part of your overhead. And what I was telling Dr. Fox earlier before we went live was look, AMCs, we talk crap about academic medical centers all the time for their inefficiencies, but they do a few things right, and that's probably just because of decades of them doing research, but they have all these vendors for the most part in-house. Now, that doesn't mean their vendors are always compliant with protocols either, but at least as far as paying and all that, they take care of it, so... 
the way I see it, Rod and Dr. Fox as a private industry site is it's just cost of doing business. I mean, not everything's going to be easy for us. So, and this actually went back to what I was telling Rod. It's exactly what CRPN is trying to fix is to try to make sure that the burden that Rod's feeling right now is not on Rod's shoulders. It needs to be on someone else's shoulders. The academic medical institutions, they can do what they do because one is most of them are government funded. They're subsidized. So they don't have to worry about footing the bill for salaries or payroll. They, they, they're fine. They can take their time on the money. But when it comes to the private sites, you need to be able to do the work, submit a claim, and then get the money ASAP because you need the money to pay the bills. Uh, that's, that's precisely what I'm developing with my company. So can you just give us like a brief, brief intro to your company and then I'll ask you some questions about mm-hmm. you know, so how sites can, help, can work with you? Essentially what my company is establishing is first a network of sites. Come together, sign a master network agreement, join the group for free. It, it doesn't cost anything. And then if you want services to fill in whatever gap your site is missing, I've had sites come up to me for gap analyses with Medicare, with PI grooming, with contracts, whatever it is that you're missing at your site, you come, you ask the company for help, and then you establish a negotiated rate of services like a consultancy. That's not the end game. The idea is we want to develop master agreements with our sites for fees. And then once we have all the master agreements for fees, we go to the sponsors, have the sponsors pay a premium, similar to how patients pay premiums for their health insurance. Sponsors pay the premiums for health insurance. Then my company, CRPN, will actually pay the sites when they submit, quote, claims or encounters, whatever it is. They'll pay the sites and they'll pay it very timely. And then we will go to the sponsors for the money. So it's essentially creating a financial battery for the sites so that that burden doesn't have to be on the shoulders of those directors. I mean, that's like a really, it's not novel idea. Like other industries do this. I don't know why our industry is so slow because we, we also saw the value of doing this, like connecting sites. I think this is the new SMO. You know how SMOs Mm kind of, developed a bad reputation after a while um but the premise was good like the premise is hey we're gonna make it easier for sponsors everything's gonna be like hey, sponsors you can just come to one smo and we have 30 sites they're all under our control well that kind of got carried away because mainly greed um you know uh, quantity over quality was Mm -hmm. probably the main complaint most sponsors zeros had so it kind of ended the smo but it didn't end this idea and i think the new and improved smo is really a site network where you still have independently owned and operated sites this is like dscs we do this too and i can't wait dr fox till you i and chris get on a zoom it's on my calendar Mm -hmm. for like in a week or two Mm -hmm. um to discuss like ways that we can collaborate but yeah like you're seeing now site networks all over the place but they're kind of uh well there's a spectrum of site networks right there's some that are still smos they're just called site networks now Mm -hmm. but the business model is basically the same but then what you and what we do and what a bunch of others do is kind of like this it's like a decentralized 
network. It's kind of like cryptocurrency in a way. Like, hey, <laughs> you know, it's transparent, authentic. Maybe now is not the best time to compare it to crypto with the FTX fraud really? that's going on. But it's kind of like, hey, you know, we're here like to help, but you ru- you're the business owner. You run your own site. Sometimes you'll pay a monthly fee. Sometimes, you know, we'll do profit share. Um, there's there's a spectrum. So mm-hmm. I think it's actually much needed uh, in this space, uh, Dr. Fox. Thank you. I, I like to call it health insurance for sponsors. That's what I like to call it. Kind of like that. So you, you talked earlier about gap analysis, Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me? what you mean by this? So a lot, well, and this happens a lot of times in the academic medical centers and some of the universities, but a gap analysis for Medicare, which is essentially an assessment of how much it would cost with Medicare versus what you're going to need to do the trial. It's a really big industry and it's very much needed, especially with our university counterparts. Um, you know, particularly the Stark Law and Sunshine Act and a lot of those groups like that we're going, you know, the gap analysis is huge. I mean, you can actually get it as an invoiceable for four to $7,000 on your startup just to perform a gap analysis. Hmm. So when it comes to budgets, then you're talking about finding fair market value for mm-hmm. budgets. It's a, it's an alignment of fair market value to what Medicare would pay for the same service. Don't, <laughs> Sorry for the cough. Don't you feel like this fair market value thing, though? Because we've been getting pushback on this for like <laughs> over a decade now. Mm-hmm. Don't you think it's just like an out for the sponsor to pay you less? I mean, there's so many ways to work around it. Justific- in this industry, justification is everything. Like, if you can justify it, they'll probably say yes. Like, we've been able to negotiate budgets like three times what they initially give us, despite using all this fair market value sunshine act stuff that they throw at you. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything fair about a value that they hide from the sites. This is fair <laughs> market value. You know, you're just going to have to trust us because that's what our databases tell us. There's nothing fair about that. It's very much skewed and it's very much biased. I mean, if you really want to boil it down, if you want to talk about the language of healthcare, go to CMS.gov, go to the physician lookup tool, Find your MAC locality, do your CPT code, and I can tell you exactly what fair market value will be when you take the Medicare value and you multiply it by three to 500%. There's your fair market value. There's your fair market value because of things like what Rod is complaining about, mm-hmm. vendor management. So, okay, my PI currently, very practical dude. Before working with me, he didn't really have any research experience. He's a military physician. They they incentivized him 20 years ago after he got out of the military. Hey, Yuma, Arizona, underserved. Yep. I think they pay them more if they end up going to underserved places. So he, he made his home here in Yuma. He built a huge private practice. He has 11 providers working underneath him, two locations. If I were to go to him right now and say, hey, fair market value Medicare, let's talk about this. He would laugh at me. He said, there's nothing fair about Medicare. Mm-hmm. They incentivize us to have volume of patients over quality of care. Mm-hmm. They block treatments that we want to do. 
to provide good quality care, straight up block, right? So to use that, and there's like a thousand other things that he can talk about. He should be on this live stream. To, comp to use that as the benchmark for clinical research is not fair for sites. Nope. Because we so don't you... do volume. We do quality in clinical research. We're looking for needle and haystack. We're not seeing 30 patients a day for nope. the most part for one study. We're, we're doing like one patient needle in a haystack. It took us five hours uh, and a week to, to pre-screen this patient before we even talk to them. Now someone's got to call them and tell them what research is. Then you got to bring them in, do a consent, do the screening. There's that's not comp that shouldn't be compared to fair market value for having a patient come in and just doing like a 20 minute assessment and then leaving. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you're spot on. And unfortunately, there are no CPT codes for clinical research activities. So you mm -hmm. just kind of have to make it fit. Uh, if you went up to your physician and you said, I'll give you five times Medicare for a typical physician visit, then he might look at you and say, okay, that seems kind of competitive. That's like commercial rights with what I might be getting with the insurance companies. So it's not fair if you just look at Medicare, but it is at least a well, or it's a government recognized baseline. So you could, that's your starting point. But one thing that you can say is if you signed a contract three years ago, I guarantee you that's not going to pay the bills. And sites are still adhered to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So between the government baseline and between the fixed costs in a fluid market, it's kind of setting the sites up for, uh, for failure. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it's create, it's building a foundation on, on sand because mm -hmm. again, we're comparing it to a failed infrastructure. I mean, Medicare, like even Medicare's biggest fans will tell you it's a failing system. So why would we build clinical research and all this innovative stuff we have to do, we're about to enter the next century of innovation for biotech. And they want to model this failing system for site payments? Get out yeah. of here. You yep. know, I'm, I'm getting mad just talking to you about this. <laughs> well, I mean, and you're also comparing your budgets now to failed budgets from the past. Fair market <laughs> value is based off of previously negotiated contracts with sites across the entire spectrum not just the private sites, not just the academic medical institutions. They'll throw it on a pot and they'll say, okay, this is fair market value. And so, you know, you've got those private institutions who say, there's no way this is fair market value. How is it fair if it doesn't pay the bills? <laughs> uh, there's nothing fair about it. Okay. Nope. Um, Sadaf, I sent you the link. I put the link here for anybody who wants to join. If you want to join uh, the live stream, Rod, Rod's having technical issues, so it doesn't look like he'll be able to get on. But you can just message me on LinkedIn, and I also put the link here. Um, it's clickable, obviously, if you are on LinkedIn or Facebook or YouTube or any of this stuff. Are there, um, do you have any questions, Dan? Are there any questions out there? Yeah, we do. So we have some career questions. Uh, Nelson says something funny. When you're not the customer, you're the product. <laughs> nice. We Nelson. are all the product, Nelson. We are. You're on LinkedIn. Guess what? Mm -hmm. You are LinkedIn's product. <laughs> mm -hmm. We are LinkedIn's product. This is just the new economy that we're in. I could take this a step further. 
websites using tech. All right. If you don't innovate, you will be passed up eventually. And all this e-reg, you know, what we're talking about with Viva now. Like, yeah, we may not want to. Okay, we're used to doing paper. Okay, that's fine. But there's comes a point in time where sponsors are just going to say, well, we, we're not going to work with you. Yeah. Like, if you're not switched to e-reg, at least, or e-source, I mean, all that stuff's coming. You're going to be gone. So, yep. And keep in mind, GCP 2023 is coming. We're only a couple months away. They're going to start working and overhauling GCP. And I guarantee you, e-consent is going to be right on the forefront. Mm. So We're about to use e-consent, actually, for one of our it's, studies. If you're a site right now, I would be looking at e-consent, you know, looking at the next two to three years, uh, making that a standard, especially when the new GCP comes out. You see Desiree and Katie, my two coordinators. I know you guys are not listening, but I'm going to clip this for you. It's good that we're moving to e-consent. <laughs> They've only been in the industry five months, and they're already scared of change. See, there are they don't know what paper source is. They don't know what paper reg is. But they do know what paper informed consent are, and they've only been coordinated for five months. And they're afraid of switching. That should tell you something about the industry at large. Like, it's no wonder people are afraid of change. I mean, this is only mm -hmm. five months. Imagine doing something 15 years and then being told you have to change. But you got to do it. The only constant in life is change. I see Rod Raphael here. We're going to get to more questions. Put your questions down. We're going to get to all of them. Rod Raphael, how's it going? Man, it wanted me to change my internet browser, I guess. It didn't like Edge. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, your, post, your post yesterday inspired so much um, uh, uh, vitriol, vitriol from myself. And and from many other side owners, you got it. That was a wildly popular post. Yeah, I, I take devil's advocate, but let's go. Let's get your like raw emotions about this. Well, I mean, my thought is here. I've got a study that I've enrolled forty five patients, and I realize that one offsite procedure is going to cost me twenty thousand dollars. I've already fronted ten thousand of it. Um, and I've made this statement before, I think, on LinkedIn. Why are we not allowed to have the sponsor and the vendor make a contract between each other and, and bill directly? And I think there's good reason for that. Follow the money, as they say, <laughs> as they always mm -hmm. say. The sponsor doesn't want to front that money until they have to or pay that money until they have to. So basically, they want you to be a bank in the meantime. <laughs> sure. I mean, they want me to pay that and then play catch up when they pay me, <laughs> you know, the last 30 days or, or later. Hi, Dr. Fox. It's nice to find hey, Rod. person. And, and, nice uh, to meet you. I, I'm a big fan, Rod. I'm a big fan. Thank you for all of what you contribute to LinkedIn. I really uh, appreciate you your words. There's a lot I, of others that, that contribute more. No, but uh, your voice I, is necessary, no, man. You've you were spot on. Years. From my experience, Rod, that's what I run into as well. This industry is one giant tug of war of debt. And it's all just a matter of seeing who can hold the potato the longest. 
And unfortunately, <laughs> most of the time is the sites. We have to shoulder substantial amount of debts for like the giant bank of clinical sites. And then eventually we'll get paid. And it, it's never within the confines of the contracts we sign. It's just whenever they feel like sending us money, unless we make it worth their while <laughs> to pay their bills on time. And so I, I understand completely the pain that you have because I have to run into it as well. And by the way, congratulations on enrolling over 40 patients. You should be demanding the respect of that sponsor. Um, if you don't have a direct contact with that sponsor, then maybe Dan Safira's live event can help you with that. I mean, come on. Rod Raphael just like crushed it on the trial and now he's shouldering debt on behalf of the sponsor. That is unacceptable. Well, I don't know if I should call the sponsor out on it, but I think no, it's, no. More the CRO. <laughs> it's more of a CRO and it isn't a three-letter CRO. Yeah, it's a four-letter <laughs> one. So, I'm sorry, Dan? It's a four-letter one? Uh, like word. So you call them four letters every once in a while? <laughs> yeah, I call them a four-letter word, but, but no, it's five letters. Uh <laughs> If that helps. Oh, I know what. It, yeah, thirty-five. Mm -hmm. It's too early. <laughs> um, what am I trying? The to run. Okay, yeah. hold on. Let's unpack this because that changes my opinion now too. Like yesterday, I was like, "Well, yeah, I know, Rod. It sucks." Like, so my perspective was, and we're always in our current perspective. Like, what? Like Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately? So my the vendor I'm dealing <laughs> the vendor I'm dealing with is X-ray vendor, all right? And we're talking about 25 bucks, 50 bucks a pop. So I'm like, yeah, it's annoying as hell. Like they're going to invoice me, then I got to invoice the sponsor. Sponsor might send the invoice back, oh you didn't do it right. It that's an extra month and all that. But 20 grand per patient. Well, it isn't per patient. It's just 20 grand. Oh, but 20 grand total. I was about to say, like $430 um, procedure offsite. Well, nice. but that doesn't include the other two procedures that have to be done offsite. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's kind of a rush or let. Which one do I pay right now? Um, but here's the thing is, is the CRO said the sponsor was okay with it. The CRO said, well, we've set the study up system-wide this way. We can't change it. Yeah, I've been getting that too for my stuff also. They don't so here's the thing is so you know they don't want to pay they don't pay you until they randomize. And that procedure is part of the randomization. Along so you gotta shoulder that. So it's kind of like they're not gonna But it's pass through, right? That that procedure. It's what? It's a pass through cost, right? Like re regardless of screen fail or randomized status. They'll still pay you. You just have to invoice them. Yeah. Hope you I, get paid. I don't even have to invoice them because they put it in as part of the uh, procedure. So they, I can't invoice for it. Well, sometimes that's the harder part because now you're in the, the hands of the CRO instead of the sponsor. Have you talked to the medical monitor from the sponsor or like somebody from the sponsor about this? No, I haven't, man. You know, I mean, and that's the other thing. You know, I always tell myself when I'm doing these contracts, that I'm going to ask specifically for a contact person at the sponsor because you get down the road like this and you have no one from the sponsor that has communicated with you. Yep. So you don't even have a person to ask. 
necessarily half the some of the time. Um, in the protocol, itself. in the in the protocol, you'll find some names. Yeah, <laughs> from sponsor people. You know, and on LinkedIn, you'll find some names too. If you, mm-hmm. if you, you know, I had to do that once with a three-letter one, <laughs> CRO, to get paid. I went on LinkedIn and found somebody high up. Amazing, you got a call that afternoon. Um, you know, it's just it's just really difficult the way that they want us to shoulder so much yeah. of the upfront yeah. cost. Do you uh, think if you would have known, because hindsight's always twenty twenty, like there's been mistakes I've made recently, macro level mistakes, like I shouldn't have taken the study. Um, do you think if you would have known the dynamics of how this study is going to play out before negotiating the contract, you would have negotiated differently, different fee, different terms, something different. Well, I'm in the process of doing that right now because they have another study. They want us to help. (laughs) So now you do better, right? Same indication. (laughs) Um, See, Rod, it's times like this where I really wish that you could submit a packed survey for the packed score and contribute to the packed database for risk assessment. We make credit scores for sponsors and CROs. Mm-hmm. And so if you were able to do that, if you could submit the survey, submit your encounters, submit your experiences, then maybe we could have a pack score together and prevent sites from making mistakes like that. You know, like, like you this, said. It, sounds like this CRO would be a subprime lender. Yeah. Yeah. yeah their their pack loan, score would be loan. <laughs> yeah, a little risk averse. Being like, hey, you may want to watch watch working with these guys. They're really late on their on their time. Well, that's but that's the thing, yeah. though. Like, they're huge. I know who Rod's talking about. They're huge. They changed their name recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can you avoid working with, like, a company that has, like, at least 50% market share of the studies? Like, you really can't. Well, no, no. You, you can't avoid them. But what you can say is, here's your PAC score. Now your negotiated rates went up because it's going to be very risky, uh, risky for me to work with you. It's not necessarily I don't want to work with you. It's You are a cost of doing business. And here's your cost. Yeah this fair market value for us. <laughs> yeah. It's fair market value for dealing with your crap. <laughs> I love this, man. I find it like, it's so needed, but it's also humorous because it's 2023 soon to be in, you know, people like you are barely establishing like the, the new rules of the game, maybe. Um, so yeah. to speak. Wow. Rod. I mean, I was playing devil's advocate. Like I totally, feel you like i've been in this situation too i've had mri procedures where it's like a thousand a pop so i've been in that same situation i have a nash study right now where the um biopsy a liver biopsy is eighty eight hundred dollars wow it's not a high enroller (laughs) but don't you like the way i see it Yes, this should be an easier process. And I do think the CROs are making this, like, muddying the waters for everybody. Like, I actually think the CROs, as much as they do a lot of good also for the industry, but, like, they need to be called out sometimes. I I think they got a little too big for their own good. Do you think this is, like, intentional, or do you just think they're too lazy to change their process, or they, they just don't care? I mean, I can't. I can't imagine they're using the money like for other things. What's that? I think it's. I think they're too lazy. I think it's somebody that says, um, "I don't want to have to have the 
the way that this was set up changed so that they can invoice for those procedures because we have 300 sites or, or we have 30 sites, whatever it is. You know, think about years ago, I had a, stu- a, a last or a, a laceration study, I guess I can say that. Um, we enrolled almost 80 patients. Well, Greensfire wasn't even around then. <laughs> and those patients were getting paid $7,500 per visit. That's a lot of money to front. It is a lot. I'm fronting right now 80 bucks, 80 bucks a visit for one study, and we're we're semi high enroller. Like we're we're a rescue site, but we've we've like really came out the gates and 80 bucks every time. I mean, they come in five, six times a week. You know, we're <laughs> that's like five, six hundred bucks a week, just like that. You know, in cash to the patients, and which is my copy usually. What's that? It's usually coming out of my personal phones. Yep. I'm I'm telling you. I'm telling you, this is what CRPN is gonna fix. That's all I'm saying. That's that's my CRPN plug, but what you're running into is exactly what I'm gonna fix. It's but so stressful, Dr. Fox, when like because I know where Rod's at. Like my first site, it did come yep. out of my own savings account too. Yep. It does. You know, you've got the doctors paying for their trials on credit cards because they're just not getting their money. It's just ridiculous. In the meantime, and I can tell you, this is exactly what CROs do. They get impound accounts from sponsors, drawdown accounts. They'll get like 20 grand, 50 grand, whatever it takes, and they'll have it on hand to pay the bills. And then when they're down to like 10% of their drawdown account, they invoice for another 40 grand. And so there's no reason why that can't happen on the site level. You just have to have proper accounting. And then you'd always have the money you needed. But good luck. Well, I'm sure the sponsor would be fine doing that for you as long as you can demonstrate accounting. But the CRO would hate it. Yeah. Rod, is the sponsor a small sponsor or a big one? Oh, no. It's a big one. Okay. Okay. It's trying to find like... It's the medication that everybody takes 71 milligrams of every day if they have heart disease. Yep. Ah, okay. Understood. I know the trial. So. Uh, you guys want to get into some of these questions? Yeah, let's do it. Mariah says, I'm a current CPA and new to the field. Any advice? You guys want to give oh her some gosh. advice? A CPA to the field of research? Mariah, uh, you're very well needed. Um, sure, finances sure. are huge. Uh, <laughs> if you go to CRO World as a CPA, don't expect <laughs> expect to have your mind changed on how accounting works. Do you think, Doctor Fox, that it would benefit her to do that to try to get into that world or to get into at the site level helping? Because I'm sure sites could use a good CPA too. I can tell you, especially these private sites, having a good CPA, especially with all the vendors you have to deal with and the revenue streams, you're going to have yourself a pretty good. Uh, pretty good opportunity there uh you could go either way cpa you know finances money drives the world money drives research so find your passion in this industry find where you want to manage and account for resources depending on you know who you want to represent and you're going to do wonderfully if you want to focus on the patients as well cpas are also very well organized being coordinating and being a director and doing a lot of the budgeting later it's going to be helpful for you i think that depending on what you want to do 
it, with your CPA, you could have whatever you need. And if she was um, in a big city, she could probably talk to a few sites and, and help mm -hmm. them out. Very much or so. You could uh, come on social media and, and do a lot that way too. Yeah, Dan, uh, do, you, do you think that CPAs could uh, try to chase money down? Or do you think that that's not yeah, necessarily what a CPA know, would want to do? It's probably not what they would want to do, but um, I've <laughs> five or six years ago, I was actually approached by a CPA uh, who mm -hmm. saw one of my videos on YouTube, and he, I guess, a few of his clients were sites, and you know all the stuff we're talking about, catching up on payments and stuff I'm dealing with now. I actually told the CRH she can't come until we get paid. Um, he, Good job, man. Yeah, no, they sent the first payment, but they still owe us another one. So we're not letting them back. Um, so his client, he noticed this for as an outsider. And he's like, oh, I wonder if there's like a market here. So it was like an exploratory call. He's like, you think there's a market here? You think sites would pay me like to go chase down money? And I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, a lot of this stuff is actually things that sites can do on their own. Um if they got a little tougher, like, or maybe join a site network like Dr. Fox's or mine. So you may not need to pay a CPA for this, but there's definitely a market opportunity here. And to, to answer Mariah's question a little further, like I'll take it like more practical. So as a CPA, you know, obviously it's budgets and contracts. If you can find a way, find a site that needs this help in-house and work your way into maybe like being a site director at some point. And maybe it's not going to be that site you start with, but another site, like a smaller site, you can teach yourself the fundamentals of clinical research. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that hard. Like get this book, um, watch the five hour video, just start doing like little by little. Like, you know, if you're going to do accounting for sites, if you're going to be in-house invoicing, you're inevitably going to want to learn, okay, well, what constitutes a screen failure? What constitutes someone that's randomized? And that just like gently segues you into a role of, I mean, I would say you could do study coordinator too, but probably site director since you're coming from the, and then you just add biz dev to your repertoire, like how to get studies. So you can do it. You can absolutely do it. And your immediate value add is obviously bookkeeping and because sites, especially small sites, but any size site, they want immediate ROI on their hires. So your immediate mm -hmm. ROI is obviously budgeting, bookkeeping, invoicing, all this stuff that Rod, myself, and Dr. Fox hate. <laughs> yep. And, well, I mean, do, do either of you use QuickBooks at all to help for your yeah, small business? I use QuickBooks. Yep. There you go. So Mariah, you could talk with Dan. You say, hey, you know, I'll help you with your books. Give me your QuickBooks account. You can assign it to her and then she can just run everything for you. So you yeah. can, you can, you can remotely, I know a lot of CPAs, they'll do that. They'll just have a bunch of QuickBooks accounts and they'll have all these clients and they'll just do everything from there. Yeah. My CPA does that currently too. He's like towards the retirement age. So he's never asked me, um, how did, how could he get into research, but he's doing the books for like at least 12 other clinics. <laughs> so he's by default already like a clinical research CPA without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to yeah, say, Mariah, that um, 
I don't know what her medical background is. And for example, I have a person that contacted me about a year ago through another research person that had retired saying that they had this lady that wanted to get into research. Um, but she really didn't, she had a bachelor's, but she didn't really have any background for medical. So, um, I really didn't know what to do with her. I mean, I told her to listen to Dan and, and to go on to, you know, and, listen to other people in research. But she went, got a hospital job um, doing direct patient care and came back to me about a month ago. Now she's got some medical background. Now I have a way of using her as an intern um, to help her also, um, which, you know, I could have used her as an intern a year ago too, but I, I felt like she really wanted to learn this business and I didn't think I felt like she needed to go get some medical background first before I um, could use her as a intern. Because yeah. you needed that immediate ROI, even if it's for intern, like it's mm -hmm. your time, right? Your time yeah. is sure. Your money. I mean, she's a real go getter. I mean, she's very smart. She's she's a quick learner, um, and I've and I've only had her here twice, mm -hmm. and that's obvious. I was, I was, it was obvious talking to her on the phone that, that she would be a good asset. This is a really good segue into, cause we're all site owners slash site directors. What it's hard to find someone experienced in research. Plus there's a great debate about whether we even want that at a startup site or a small site. I prefer to train myself, like to find talent. So I look for potential, but I don't know how to articulate what I'm actually looking for. Um, <laughs> it's been like 17 years. I just know when I see them, mm -hmm. but I don't know how to articulate it. Do you guys know like what you're looking for or, as far as raw potential? Go ahead, Rod. <laughs> That's, it, it's hard. I mean, I brought my daughter-in-law into our site practice about seven years ago. No medical background. Um, she was going to, she had been going to school to be a teacher. Um, I think she had two of my grandchildren at that point. Um, and she was deathly afraid of needles. So she didn't want to draw blood. Um, but now today she draws blood, she can do EKGs, she can take a medical history. She um, also is able, she's our main person, go-to person for Creo at this point. Um, she just was very good at, and uh, yeah, you hear that, Dr. Fox? I think that's the vendor try, uh, trying to get money from me. It was actually my dad. That, that call might have been. It was a, a stand call. <laughs> um, but the, the desk phone was my recruiter in Florida. Oh, you have. See, patient oh, recruitment, man. We'll get to that. Just give me a second. Okay. Where Aaron, um, you know, has turned into a really good asset after. And she did so in a very short period of time. So you're right, Dan. I mean, it's hard to. You just know when you meet somebody. I knew when I met this young lady 
or talk to her on the phone that I, I knew for sure that I wanted her to come in and intern for us. Um, but what was it though? Like, what was it? She was very, she's aggressive. She's, um, she's hungry for knowledge. She wants, and she wants to learn. She wants to, um, to be part of research. So, um, it was real obvious when I talked to her last month that she would be somebody that could could catch on quick and be a good intern for the time being. Um, unless, you know, if I hire her full time, that would, I don't know if I will or, or won't, but she, um, she brings a lot of uh, drive to the table and is eager to learn. So that, that, those are things that I think coming from, from two people that I've known, they both had that. They did not have a medical background. So, well, she had the one, the one that's interned for me had a dietitian bachelor degree, but my daughter-in-law did not. And she actually got hired away from a hot for a hospital for a short period of time, but still came back to us because she didn't like doing research at the hospital. So, um, She's a go-getter. She she's interested in learning. She she doesn't um, hesitate to step in and say, "Well, let me see if I can fix that or do that." And I think that's what you need. I mean, when I was a medical assistant, when you work with a doctor, and I'm sure Dr. Fox can can um, agree with me. If you've been with that doctor for a month and you can't anticipate what he's going to do on that next exam, if you don't bother to get a, a urine when they come in for a UT for complaining of a UTI or um, they come in with a laceration, you should already have it set up for him. You need to anticipate what his needs are so he can get in, see the patient, and get out. And it's so those are the kind of people. You, that I like to work with, and I think physicians like to work with, especially in research, because they don't, they want to spend, <laughs> I, I don't want to say they want to spend less time with the patient than they do in their own practice, but they have less time and they're not, they don't necessarily have as much time available when they're doing research on the side. Yeah, so because Medicare. Especially if their practice is right here in the, in the same, building like my PI used to come over in between patients and see our physician. Um, anyway, I've gone on long enough. Dan, you no, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say because Medicare incentivizes them to see volume and you know, if they take away even 10 minutes of their time to come see a patient in research, I mean, that means that one of their existing patients is waiting or an MA has to stall for time. So maybe they got to do vitals twice or something. Um, Christine says, Rod, that's amazing. Good on you for giving opportunities. To Thank you. Medical backgrounds. Dr. Fox, what about you? Like, how do you assess somebody's potential? And Well, so I think a lot of what I look for is similar to what Rod was saying. Um, if you have an employee who is passionate, they're dedicated, they're hungry, all of those words for professional commitment, it's very important. For me as a director, it's a really weird situation 
because I have to ask myself, does this person want to stay here forever? Or does this person want to excel and do more and grow and be better? And what I find is if I encourage my employees to be professionally advanced, if I say, you know, what do you want to do? What can I do to serve you? Where do you want to go in your career? And even if the answer is I don't want to be a coordinator forever, I want to be there to help them to grow. What happens is, although you lose the talent that you've put so much money into to grow, you gain a reputation where people are willing to work for you because they know that you take care of your employees. So you always have a stream of employees, always. And most of the time you attract the correct type of employee. Um, I always tell my employees that my job is to make you look good and you make my job easy. And so I tell them that I encourage them that I might use that one. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. My job is to make you look good and you make my job easy as a director. That's what it is all about. You've got to be there. You've got to support them. You've got to have them understand that you're, you've got their back and you're doing everything you can to help them excel. That's something that we don't hear about a whole lot in research. Most of the time it's stop poaching my coordinators, stop taking away my talents. I need this for my trials that's not how a professional background works. You have to be there to, you know, if you really care about your employees, you have to understand that they want to be that director someday. They want your job. And so if you just keep encouraging them to excel, you're going to attract the right people and you're going to be reaping the volumes of the productivity that they have because they want to help you because they know that you're dedicated to them. Um, in, in short, it's, it's literally just asking yourself, you know, I look for the people who don't want to work for me forever uh, mm. because those are going to be the people that are going to help your practice grow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, what you said about word of mouth, I mean, birds of a, fle- birds of a feather tend to flock together. So you've got somebody who's was a really good employee. Well, chances are she or he has friends in a similar vein with similar potential. I've actually experienced that myself many times. And I've gone a step further and said, Hey, if you like, even if you want to compete against me as a side owner, first of all, you will lose. So don't, don't try. (laughs) But even if you do let me know and I'll help you, you know, and then who knows, maybe like they give me some equity or some, consulting fee or something who knows but like i just want you to be honest with me of what you want to do because i truly do want to help you achieve what you want to do and who knows maybe we can achieve that without you having to leave and that's my job Mm -hmm. as a business owner to communicate that to my patient that or to my employees that's retention employee retention Mm -hmm. i don't care if recruiters approach them like my employees have told me a recruiter approached me they offered me 80k plus bonuses i'm like you know that i can't compete with that but here's some of the drawbacks of working with that i know who they are but feel free like i'll be a reference and oftentimes they'll take it <laughs> but then they'll refer their friends and sometimes they'll say you know what yeah no i don't think i will after all but there's there's ways small business can compete and then there's on some levels we can't so we we have limited resources but we can compete and we're way better than the bigger companies as far as giving opportunities and, and increasing your experience on your resume for 
responsibilities that you you can't get at other places. So now you're investing as an employee, you're investing your time into building your skill set so that one day you can go and get those higher paying jobs. But who knows? Maybe you get a higher paying job with me. And that's the conversation I have on a regular basis with my employees. Well, Chris has a higher uh, he's a higher wage than you, isn't he, at this point? Chris used to be an employee of mine way back in the day. Way, way, way back in the day. Talking about Chris Sauber, right? Chris Sauber, yeah. Dr. Fox is going to meet him on a Zoom, and now he's my right-hand man for everything, but we've mm-hmm. also owned some sites together, still do. And he's actually he- an interesting background story that you've told before. Um, I was joking when I, you know, when I said that, but yeah, he's he's somebody that you brought on that really didn't have a medical background, right? Man, Chris, <laughs> Chris gonna get embarrassed, but I, I, uh, one of my fellow site directors was uh, referred him, and he had zero background, like nothing. But he was, I can tell, he was a go getter. So he came to the office. I interviewed him. And he said, as I left, as I left in the parking lot, he came out and told me, hey, I just want to let you know that in everything I've done, I've never failed due to a lack of effort. And that like resonated with me. I was like, this guy's crazy enough to do that. So I ended up, you know, hiring him and he became a great coordinator. My fear was he's coming from completely different industry coordinating is unique but he no issues adapting then site director then site owner fellow site partner when i got into financial issues with one site i just said hey i can't pay you anymore but you want to be a co-owner we share the risk he had to think about it for two days said yes nice right so that's an example perfect example of like somebody just coming in right attitude you're actually right rod Thank you for bringing that up. Um, well, I was in the industry for 10 years. I went and sold cars, which actually, as a site director, was one of the best things I did. <laughs> I love doing the budgets. But um, so I, my talent wasn't that uh, good at that point because I had been out of the business, out of healthcare for so long. I was a medical assistant doing research in Los Angeles. But then my wife came home saying, well, I just met another coordinator and he introduced the doctor as his employee. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I went out and got another doc, two doctors that week and opened a site with no, no real experience to open a site. Just kind of fell into it like you did, Dan. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's, I mean, yeah, I had the medical background as a medical assistant and a hospital corpsman, but I didn't have any background or any business really trying to run a business. Yeah. Um, the beautiful thing about this industry is that regardless of your background, and this is probably due to the massive inefficiencies we have, regardless of the of your background, whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, whether it's CPA, whether it's healthcare, whether I mean, you name it, like car salesman, whatever you want, there's a role for you in this industry. 
and like we we need help with all that stuff in research and especially at the site level mm -hmm. well selling cars not only did it um help me with budgeting but it to negotiate the budgets but it helped me um know people better i thought i knew people really well um being doing direct patient care as a as a hospital coroner and doing um, direct care as a medical assistant in a large private practice, but that was a different situation that when you meet them in that environment, um, you have to earn their trust just like we do, and um, take their money. No. Um, <laughs> I didn't know you had that auto auto background because Chris also came from that industry. Right. Um, so, but, you know, you have to earn their trust. You have to be able to sell them, tell them about the product, which is what we do with research and earn their trust to the, that it's a good thing for them to go into. I mean, a study or a car, either way. I mean, mm -hmm. A lot of similarities. I'm not probably presenting it quite well, I'm, but you know, it, it helped me to learn people's. My, it, it helped me with my people skills, and it helped me uh, read people better. Let's go through some of these questions as we wrap up. Thank you, guys, both. All right, just really quick tips for tips for time management for CRA, please. Anyone want to take a stab at this one and? Well, how are you doing that, Dan? You're a new site owner, again. Yes, um, and I, I was I was a contract CRA. Um, I had I dabbled in contract CRA, and there's actually a lot of similarities between new site owner and CRA. I mean, I had a to-do list. It's in my backpack because I got like 20 things to do today. But here's one thing I noticed. These to-do lists, they're great because you don't forget what you need to do. But if you're right, if you're in the process of writing something down, like, hey, this is another thing I need to do tomorrow, and it's something you can actually do today, just do it. Make one less thing, take one less thing off of your list. I did it yesterday. I was like, oh, here's another thing I got to do tomorrow. And then I thought about it. I'm like, why don't I just do it today? By the time I, I finish writing this list, I can actually do this one thing. And so doing things like, sooner rather than later is huge because a CRA things pile up. Another thing that's going to have tremendous ROI for you. If you're a CRA, have a very good relationship with your coordinator and not just when you need things from them, like be a genuinely good person with that coordinator, try to nurture them, try to work with them. If they're experienced, try to work with them. If they're new, try to nurture them. They're going to appreciate that regardless of where they are on the spectrum. So that when you need something done, your probability of them doing it is a lot higher than a CRA that's rude, mean, demanding, no soft skills, just talks to you when they need something. So that's a huge one for, for me. And the rest is figure out what works for you. Batch your work. Batch like when you do SDV. Do it all. Stop Stop getting sidetracked with a thousand other things. Turn your email off. Turn your phone off. If you know you're going to do SDV, do SDV. If you're going to write... what One thing I did was I wrote my report while I was doing uh, my monitoring. So 
which is unconventional, but I would have yep. my monitoring template report. Yep. And then I'd be doing the site visit and I would be doing it like I would be finishing my report as I'm doing it in real time rather than writing it down somewhere else and then remembering. So that just little things like that. But everyone has their own preferences. Well, doing that makes sense because then you don't have to. A lot of monitors will come back to it like a day or two later. And then and they, they won't remember it. And they don't remember and they lost, and, which is fine. I get it. I mean, especially on site feasibility visits. That happens a lot where they'll call you back and ask you questions. Mm -hmm. So throwing that out while you're um, actually conducting the visit might be beneficial. Yeah. Sometimes it's unavoidable, though, because you like have a flight. You don't want to miss your flight. So you're like, hey, I got to get out of here because I don't want to stay here another night. And so, you know, it can pile up. But do your best to uh, get as much done as you can in real time. Uh, let's go through a few more of these questions and then we'll wrap up. Thank you guys for your time today, too. Do you guys have an answer for this? What's the best CRO for experienced CRAs right now? Is it one with five letters, three letters, seven letters? How many letters, Rod? Any of them in the alphabet, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, think CR, I think if you're going to be a CRA, any CRO is good experience. But, Dan, I'm, maybe you'll agree with me. Is it probably better for them to start with a small CRA like we start as a small site, maybe. I think so. Whatever. If you're if you're experienced, the key word here is experienced for me. Uh, what this tells me is you have leverage, right? Like one of the things I see the the bigger CROs they're good for inexperienced, and if you have a good line manager, I mean they'll they'll bring you along, and a lot of them are doing a better job of that now of like retaining retaining their talent. But there's no comparison. Like if you work for a small sponsor, like a biotech, as an experienced CRA, you're going to go from experienced CRA at CRO XYZ to clinical study lead at biotech XYZ. I mean, you're going to like one order of magnitude level up in your, in your title and in your responsibility. Let's face it, if you're experienced CRA, you know how to do all that stuff. You're only as good as your team, too. I mean, so try to pick teams or try to get on a study when you are with that CRO that has a really good team, people that you've worked with that you know do a, do a good job. Because um, I, I, say, I say it all the time. I mean, the study is only as good as its team. Yeah, I mean, I could tell you what the pack scores are for each of those CROs and which Ooh. one is better. Uh, but it's... I don't know. The best CRO for experienced CRAs, I think I, I go with Dan. If you're an experienced CRA, you shouldn't be with CROs. But climb up the ladder, go with the biotechs, and you're going to find a much more fulfilling experience. Yeah. The fact that you're asking this question, uh, lion, their emojis a lion, <laughs> um, tells me a lot. Uh, like someone dropping the ball uh, as a line manager. Um which kind of is very telling, actually. The fact that there's so many openings, it's difficult to choose. Yeah, and that's that's a red sign too. If there's a bunch of openings, there's a reason for that. 
And if they're trying to pay you a bunch of money, there's a reason for that. Just do a lot of soul searching and understand why the turnover is there. Whatever you do, don't go with the one that starts with an M and ends with an E. <laughs> Even though we're getting a study with them right now. <laughs> okay. Here's one for Dr. Fox or for both of you. As we're wrapping up right now, in a recent interview with a site owner, you discussed about overheads, how much time goes into it. Can a site owner, CRC, manage studies while managing overheads? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Very much so. It's very possible. Uh, there are ways to do it. But keep in mind, you can only manage your overheads as well as the people you're working with. The cost of doing business is a two-way street. So if someone makes your life miserable and costs you a bunch of money, you can only control that so much. It is a tango. Mm -hmm. the, uh, Dr. Fox is the expert on this. Funding opportunities for starting clinical trial sites. <laughs> However you can. Yep. Network, network, network. No people. Be resourceful. Oh, Dr. Fox. The only thing I would him is don't spend a bunch of upfront money. Mm -hmm. Don't run an office and, and get a phone line. And I know that sounds contradictory, but um, I know people that have gone and hired a doctor, offered him a set, you know, paying them a salary, and they rent space and they get a phone and they, all the things that they, traditionally you would do when you start a business um, and the reason that i would say don't do that or do it as conservatively as possible and dan will agree i'm sure both of you will agree you have to wait six months to a year to even start seeing any income <laughs> scrs the <laughs> scrs global summit i was at one of the forums and one of the pieces of advice, they sat there and told their sites, right? One of the big panelist experts, they said, if you want to run a site, you better be sure you have a really good line of credit. That's the recommendation they gave at the summit. So go and, in debt really well is yeah, their advice. Yeah, you better be sure you have a really good line of credit because <laughs> you're going to need it. And I'm like, if, if you have to give that advice to sites, then we have a problem here. That's not how we should be doing things. Yeah, because so, when I told you that story about me going and finding two doctors, I went... I worked in their practice and I used some of their space. Um, I used my home phone and a home fax until I could have, and I didn't have a good line of credit. So it yeah, can be here's, done. Here's how bad it is. I right? see you, and, uh, let you have a tail. <laughs> oh yeah, my husky, my husky's here. My, this Your is dog. Sonic. Come here, Sonic. Hi, Sonic. This is yeah. Sonic. He wants to go on a tail. Look at oh, this guy. Wow. Look at Sonic. Good a good boy. He wants to go on a walk. But look, this is how bad it is, okay, guys, for you all you guys wanting to start sites. Fine. Be my guest. Like we need more sites. All the problems we talked about in the first half an hour of this show, all of them. Those are luxuries you gotta wait nine months to get. <laughs> like the you're not even going to deal with those problems until nine months into it. And then you got, those are like long-term problems, by the way, too. So how are you going to get from starting to that point, which also costs money? And then once you're at that point, guess what? Rod, what was your biggest complaint? We're fronting money for sponsor uh, CRO XYZ. So 
once you get lucky enough to experience the problems Rod, myself, and Dr. Fox deal with, you might already be broke. <laughs> there's there's one thing I'm going to say before we end, Dan, and that is I did get my invitation to pilot CRPN's financial model with a sponsor. A sponsor is going to give me a chance. Wow. So We got to do live streams about that. Yeah, that's it's going to be huge because a lot of what we're running into, again, I'm going to say it, that's what we're going to fix. You're not going to have to wait nine months for your money. Okay, so Dr. Fox, for just if we're going to end Dan, I assume. Yes. One more time, if you'll explain how that works. Imagine, your, imagine your sponsor has an insurance card, a third-party payer card, and imagine that you've already got an established fee schedule built with my company. So the sponsor pays my company a premium, just like a patient would pay someone an insurance premium. They'd come into your site, present their membership card. Since you already have something predetermined, you process the trial, you send a, a claim to my company, and we pay you on the spot. Then we go after the sponsor for the money. It's a financial battery so that sites don't have to feel the pain. Man, Chris is going to love Dr. Fox. Yeah. Well... That's it, guys. Look, we got other questions. I have to, I'm going to make a micro video for this one, especially the one that asked about how to be a contractor. This one, any advice for CRAs that want to become contract CRAs or start a service business? I got you. Just mm -hmm. Sonic needs to go on a walk, but um, that's perfect. like a 10, 15 yeah. minute video. <laughs> that's a perfect question for you to answer, though. I think so, because I actually did it, but it. it Here's the cliff note answer is LinkedIn. You got to network. You got to, why are you not talking to people like Dr. Fox, Rod, and everyone else in the space? So that's the cliff note answer. But thank you so much, Dr. Fox, Rod, Raphael, for coming on last minute. I had a Thanks, podcast Dan. cancellation. Um, you guys are amazing. Uh, everybody go connect with them. Both of their LinkedIn's are underneath this video and in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. You got to network, network with them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Nice to meet everyone. Nice to meet you. Thank you guys Thank both. You. Thank you everyone for watching. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.